Amen. Good morning or afternoon, Woodside. How are you today? Okay, cool. Sounds like you're good. That's awesome. Again, good morning. Thanks so much for being here. It's good to see you all. And if you're new to our church, it's, you know, Labor Day weekend. People visit other churches. And maybe if that's you today, just want to say welcome and thanks for being here. My name is Jim and I'm one of the pastors here at Woodside Lake Orion. And we're so thankful you're here with us gathering with us today, and um, it'll be a great morning together. If you would, uh, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19 today. 1 Kings 19, the last couple of weeks, four to be exact, we've been in a series called Elijah, a man like us, where we've been looking at the, the person of Elijah, the prophet Elijah in his time and how God used him in the story of the people of Israel. And over the last number of weeks, I've tried to remind you continually the reason why we called it what we did and the reason why we're diving in like we are is I want to show you over and over again how Elijah was a man like us with a nature like us. As James 5 actually says that, that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently for it to not reign for three years and God fulfilled that. And then we read in a story, there's many, many other things amazing and miraculous things as he follows the call of God on his life and is faithful to it, not without problems, as we saw last week, right, as he is in a, a, a stew of self-pity under a tree, a broom tree, and says, Lord, just take my life. I don't want to live anymore after the greatest success in all of his ministry on Mount Carmel. And today, we're going to continue in landing kind of the point of the series and his life as he passes the mantle to Elisha as he uh, follows in obedience to what God has for him and he brings about his, his successor in Elijah and look at that transition in our text today in, in 1 Kings 19, 19 to 21 together. But before we dive in, I just want to ask you a question. I want you to wrestle with this. Not, don't say out loud, yes, no, that kind of, just internalize it because the spiritual quick, easy answer is yes. But I want you to think about it, wrestle with it, and then I'm going to come back to it again at the end, and, and I'm hoping that our heart will be shifted in our affections to follow in obedience in all that God has for us. And the question is this, do you see yourself as a missionary sent out by God to make disciples. Do you believe that? I know, again, like I said, the, the, the Sunday school Jesus answer is yes. Do you believe that you're a missionary, that you are called throughout the New Testament, aliens and strangers in a foreign land, and your home is a different place, but while you're here, you're ambassadors for the kingdom of God. You're aliens and strangers, but you are called to go out as missionaries in the places God has called you to live, do work, play in sports, go to college, go to high school, whatever it is, and you are a missionary sent by God to make disciples. Do you believe that? Because if you do, it should change some things. It should change the way you interact with people. It should change the way you present yourself. It should change the way you function in your home. It should change really all of what you are. I said in the first service, it's interesting, it's Labor Day today, where we kind of cease from labor before the fall, and I hope you're enjoying your weekend, and you're grilling out with friends, and all of that kind of stuff. It's fascinating I just recently read the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, Re Commerce reports that on Labor, 
uh, that our labor population has decreased 62, 63% of what it used to be in 2020. And some people say that we would have a labor uh, problem in the United States right now. We have, a, we have a labor crisis where you can't find workers to do this or that. And people are, you know, hey, if you come, you can do a, a, an interview on the spot at a lot of places because they're just looking for people to work. And you might be like, that's awesome. You might even disagree with me. That's okay. I don't know. I just read that somewhere. I only say that because I believe as we're talking, I just asked you, do you believe that you're a missionary sent by God to make disciples for his glory? You wrestle with that. Uh, the reason why I'm asking is because I firmly believe in the church today, we have a labor crisis in the kingdom of God. A labor crisis of people who are not going, who are not going out every day, seeing themselves as a missionary to say, how do I represent Jesus? How do I learn the culture of my workplace like a missionary would and figure out the best way to reach these people for the kingdom of God? I really think that many Christians today are not wrestling with these things. And then you read passages that are profoundly convicting, right? Romans, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul writing to the Roman church says, man, how can they believe unless someone tells them? Like eventually we have to share the gospel with people that they might believe, right? And how will they tell them unless they are sent, right? Is the church, whether you're going to a foreign land in, a, in another country sent by the church or you're sent every week when you leave this place, drive out of the parking lot, you're a sent missionary of this place to go and represent Jesus in the places you live. Or, man, I'll, I'll read this again at the end of our time together. In, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus, it says in verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Man, May that be our heart as we leave this place and we look at the world around us because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And I think what Jesus said then is still true today, that the laborers are few. There might be a lot of believers. There might be a lot of Christians. There's some last week, we had nearly a thousand just in this, in this building. But do we have the mentality? Do we have the heart? Do we have our affection set on the fact that God calls us to go, to be missionaries, to represent Jesus? And that's what I want you really to see today is that God faithfully calls people to serve in his mission. And, and when you see it, God, God calls or faithfully calls people into his mission, but take away people and put you, God faithfully calls you into his mission. God faithfully calls us into his mission. That's what I want you to know today, that you are called into the mission of God and what a great thing it is. He doesn't need you, but he wants you and he calls you into his Mission. And I just want to show you a few things from the story of Elijah and the transfer to Elisha that might compel our hearts, our affections to further follow Jesus in being his missionaries, to be his representatives in the world today. So if you would look with me in, in verse 19, I see the first thing 
about God calling us. Look with me. It says, so he, this is Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And so we'll get there, but what I want you to see from just this verse, in the context of all of this, God calling us into his mission, that God's, direct, God, God's direction can be trusted. God's initiatives can be trusted. God's words to us, God's calling on us can be trusted, right? So last week we are looking... Uh, Elijah's up on the mountain. He's called out of this kind of like self-pity that he's under a tree wanting to die. God not only meets him in that place, but he calls him to truth, brings him on top of Mount Horeb. He speaks to him in the quietness, the stillness, and he says a few things to him. He says, man, get up. You're still my prophet. Go and do this. And he says a few things. He says, I want you to go and, and anoint this new king of, of Syria, the neighboring nation. Secondly, I want you to anoint this new king of Israel. And then lastly, I want you to anoint your successor, who is Elisha, and this is what I've called you to do. He's now going to be commissioned. He's going to be my spokesperson. And what was Elijah's response? It says he left the mountain, right? And he's on his way. Now, Syria is, is north of Israel. It would have been roughly about from where he's at, about 100 miles. So if you've ever ran 100 miles, walked 100 miles, he's a long ways away. He's on the journey. And in the opposite succession of the command, it happens. He meets Elijah. God said, you want to anoint the, the, the king of Syria, anoint the king of Israel, and then anoint Elijah. In, in opposite, he meets Elisha first. And then if you continue to read later on, then he anoints the king of Israel, then he anoints the king of Syria. But along the journey, he's going in obedience, he sees Elisha. Now Elisha's there, and he has 12 yoke of oxen. Now, that's 24 oxen. Most commentators believe that Elisha was a part of a very wealthy, well-to-do family, as most people would not have nearly that many oxen, and you only had that many oxen if you had a lot of land to till and take care of. And so, man, he's got a lot in his family. He's been blessed by God, right? Well, I want you to save that for later because it comes up later in the text as we continue to process through it. And he's here, and he's, he's plowing, and Elijah comes down off the mountain. He's traveling, and there he is. There's Elisha, just like God had commanded. What's fascinating is God didn't say, leave here, go in, in this exact place, and you're going to find Elisha, and do this, do that. He just said, go. I want you to go and anoint this king, and this king, and Elisha. And he didn't give him a lot of the details along the way. I don't know about you, but I'm often, <laughs> I'll say often's being nice, always. When God says, go, I want to be like, Where? When God says go, I want to be like, what's the details? When God says go, I'm like, well, how am I going to do that? When, when God says go, I'm always wanting to flush out all of these different things. But most of the time when God says go, he's not giving us every detail. He's just looking for obedience. And then he is faithful in his direction because it can be trusted. Because he will work on all the details. Man, I don't know how many times I have to learn that I just, if I just step out and I go, God will take care of the rest. And Elijah here just discovers again that God's direction can be trusted just like he did in every other situation and every other story that we've been reading, right? It's, man, I want you to go down to this river and live there in hiding, and I'm going to bring ravens to bring you meat and food. What? Like, what? But God's, God's, God's direction can be trusted. Man, I want you to go to this widow who would have been hard to sustain her own life and her, her child, and I'm going to make sure she sustains your life. And man, 
He goes, and God's faithful. I want you to go on the top of this mountain, and I want you to go up against the prophets of Baal, and let's see what happens, and God's direction can be trusted because God came through exactly what he said. And over and over again, he's been learning that God's word, when he says something, God's direction can always be trusted. Then there's this last thing. We don't need to spend a lot of time on it, but it says that Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak on him. I imagine always goes into these funny places. He's tilling the field and Elijah just runs by and throws a jacket on him. And I'm like, man, this must have been interesting. What does that mean? But we don't need to spend a ton of time on it. I just want to tell you what it means that as the prophet, he would have worn a, a, a certain jacket, probably made out of animal skin, that represents and shows people that he is the prophet. He is an important figure in their, in their people. And so when he puts it on Elisha, Elisha knows right away what it means. You see that in the text will come in a moment when he immediately just turns and goes to Elijah because he knows who he is and he knows what this means, that he is now being called to be the prophet. He's called to, be, to take Elijah's place, right? When you look at it, God's direction can be trusted. It reminds me of a passage in Psalm, Psalm 119. You've probably heard it before if you've been around church for a while. It says this, thy word is a what? A lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. I always joke around because what it doesn't say, man, I don't know about you, but flashlights nowadays, you can do a ton of stuff with them. It doesn't say, thy word is a million power candle flashlight that you can see across the earth with when those big candle, like huge, like spotlights. That's not what God's word is. It's not showing you in 10 years what you're going to be doing. It doesn't show you probably even uh, six months from now what's going to be happening. It's a lamp unto my feet. And in their time, it would have been an oil lamp that just shows maybe the next step or two. And in the darkness, they would have had to be led by the lamp that was in front of them. He says, man, this is what the word of God is. God's word and his direction can be trusted as it's a lamp unto my feet. It gives me direction. And this is what God is. He, to us as a believer, man, the word of God is one of the great gifts that we've been given in our lives for direction, for knowing who God is and how the world operates and how God is. And it, it changes our ambitions and our attitudes and our actions, and it gives us direction. God didn't leave us in the dark. No, he gave us a lamp. His word to, to help us show the direction where we're going, and it reveals things to us. On top of that, he gives us the third person of the Trinity who indwells us when we give our lives to Jesus, who inside of us illuminates the word of God and directs our paths and speaks to us like Elijah just experienced on the top of the mountain in that whisper. But the thing we have to wrestle with is are you and am I faithfully pursuing the word of God in direction for our lives? Because and how are we supposed to know the direction if we're not in the word of God? And how can we say God's direction can be trusted if we don't know the direction we're supposed to be going in? Again, I said at the beginning, I think we have a, a, a labor crisis in the kingdom of God. I think part of that is stemming from we have a spiritual illiteracy in the kingdom of God. So many people are dependent on what you're experiencing right now for all of their fill of the word of God. And that's not how God intended it. 
Now, I'm not the one who's going to say, man, every day, if you miss a day, God's met. None of that. But, man, we should have a normal rhythm of being in the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, stewing on the Word of God, deeply studying the Word of God with other brothers and sisters, being inspired by the Word of God here in church, and spending time alone asking the Lord to reveal himself through the Word of God. It should be a part of our lives. And if I want to know what the direction is for my life, I have to be in the Word of God. So I just ask you, do you, do you faithfully pursue the Lord in, in his direction in the word? And then allow it to know you, convict you, stir your affections for him, change your path, give you direction. Because if we don't, there's nothing to trust. Why would I trust the direction of God? I, I don't know what the direction of God is. I, I'm not in the word of God. But man, I want you to know today that God's direction can be trusted, but we have to be in the word of God, knowing the Lord, pursuing the Lord. So many of us today are just depending on whatever we feel like doing and living however we want. And then later on when things go sideways, we're like, Lord, I need your direction. No, his direction should be daily, weekly, monthly, so that we can follow in steps of obedience in all that he has for us. Well, second, when you look at the text, is not only God's direction can be trusted, but God's, uh, God calls. His, his call demands commitment. That God's call on your life, I promise you, whatever it is, it will demand commitment in some form. Some will be greater. Some of you in this room, the commitment that God is calling you to will demand an extreme amount of commitment. Others, it will be different and unique to you as an individual as God leads each of us differently. The same is for Elisha. Look what it says. It says, and he, Elisha speaking, left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and he sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and he assisted him. The commitment was pretty high for Elisha, right? Understanding uh, uh, the, the significance of what had just happened is this, he, he puts his coat on him, if you will, and he knows what that means. In, in a moment, he runs after Elijah, stops his oxen, leaves them in the field, runs after the prophet and just says, hey man, I know what this means. I'm all in. I want to follow after you. I know what, what I'm being called to, but can I have a moment just to say goodbye to my family? Can, can I kiss my parents basically and say goodbye to them? Let me bid them farewell. And apparently Elijah is not saying he can. He kind of gives him permission when he says, man, what have I done to thee? Like, essentially he's saying, man, I, I'm not constraining you. You have freedom to go back and say bye to your family. And in a moment, he, he goes back. And, and I don't know about you, but if I wasn't reading this, if someone told me he went back to his family, I wouldn't guess what happens. I would think he goes back to his family, embraces them, and says, man, I don't know when I'm going to see you again. I'm going after Elijah. But man, instead, he goes. And remember how many oxen he had. He had 12 of them. I don't know when the last time you slaughtered an animal is, but uh, I got to imagine 12 took a while. He killed all of them. He took his, 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 his um, plow, broke it down, made a fire, boiled the flesh, and put on a barbecue. 
and fed all of the people, right? And, and literally, it was a feast to basically bid him farewell with the thing that was sustaining him, his livelihood, potentially maybe even his inheritance in his family. And in a moment, he embraces the call of God in his life and boldly, very boldly severs ties with the distractions of his former livelihood and follows after everything that God has. Fascinating. Every time I read this passage, it's extremely convicting. In a moment, class and wealth and all that is, is his is nothing anymore in comparison to the call of God in his life. The distractions of going back to what he knew, going back to comfort, going back to wealth and prosperity, all of that, he put a stake in the ground to make sure that he was never going to be able to go back to that because he knew fully what God was calling him to. No turning back. I'm killing all the oxen. I'm doing away with my plow. I'm burning it all. I'm giving it away to feed the people and I'm leaving to go after and follow after the God. Man, if I can't, if I haven't told you already, God's call demands commitment. For him, it was a significant commitment. For you, I promise you, it's probably a significant commitment. It might just be different. I don't know any, I, I know no one in our church that has oxen. But I know a lot of people in our church that have a lot of stuff. I know people in our church that get distracted by a lot of different things. I know my own life. There's many things that, that woo me and distract me and pull me away from what God has for me every single day. It's interesting that Jesus used a similar picture, but he refers to it in the reverse. When Jesus says in, in Luke chapter 9, yet another said, man, someone says to Jesus, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. So almost the exact same situation, but what does Jesus say? Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And in a moment, what's happening one guy gets to go back and say to his family, say about his family, the other one, Jesus says, man, if you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. What's going on? Well, the difference is, is Jesus is perceiving this man's heart because the, the point is your heart. And he knew that this was an obstacle for his kingdom commitment and what he had called him to. His heart wasn't truly committed to Jesus. His heart longed for different things. Elisha's situation is so different. Rather, man, his farewell is functioning really as his kingdom service, his entry to kingdom service. Man, he's cutting loose from every attachment he had and literally throwing a farewell for himself to go forward in the kingdom of God. Totally different. And what Jesus is saying is the same thing. That we're expressing here. He's saying it's impossible to plow a straight line if you're distracted by looking all around you. It's like you picture a guy following oxen and they're like me and you're constantly distracted. Uh, we have offices up on the third floor. Many people don't even know there. I literally moved my office, and, I, and our staff will attest to this, to the back corner where I have no windows because I used to have the one with the window where I could see everybody in the general area and I'd be like, squirrel. And I'd get out and like, hey, how are you guys? Oh, they're having fun or they're talking. I want to go out there. I moved it to the back. They don't know if I'm there or I'm not. And I don't know if they are either. Because I had to remove distractions because that's who I am. I just get distracted and I'm, I'm just out there messing around with them or talking to them. I had to essentially burn the plows of my office, if that makes any sense. This is what Jesus is getting at. You can't plow a straight line if you're distracted. You're looking around at other things. Then someone comes along and says, man, who plowed this field? It's like in an S form. 
Oh, that's Billy. He's a very distracted individual. See, Jesus is saying, man, you're not fit for the kingdom of God unless you're focused and you're willing to commit and follow after him in discipleship. And all of this, again, I'm just trying to challenge you that God's call in your life, what he has for you, I asked you at the beginning, do you see yourself as a missionary? I promise you, you try to be a missionary in your workplace, it's gonna be, it's gonna demand commitment. You wanna, you wanna follow after Jesus in your neighborhood, it's gonna demand commitment. I thought I could share like a really cool illustration with you to share this with you, but just this last week, my wife Sarah and I were having dinner with some friends who were in town, and I thought maybe them sharing a little bit about themselves might better show you what it means to have commitment and God's call in your life that demands it. So I'm going to invite my friend uh, Daniel Park, DP, and uh, his wife Cameron up on the platform. Uh, DP and Cameron, I've known Cameron just a short bit. And I've known DP for quite a while. Back when I was a college pastor, he was my intern and spent a lot of time with DP. And uh, DP, well, way back in a while ago, we felt really called uh, to go to the mission field and reach the lost and people that have uh, never heard the name of Jesus. And so a lot of different things happened and we're fast forward. And he ended up in India and was there. And while he was there, uh, Cameron was uh, in another place in the world and, and had to leave that place and ended up in India. Long story short, they met and they got married this last January. And so they're newlyweds. And uh, yeah, so we can clap for that. And they're now in the process of, of uh, continuing the call in their life together and where God is calling them. And it demands a lot of commitment and sacrifice. And I thought maybe, man, they were in town and just randomly they ended up in town. So I was like, hey, uh, why don't you guys come tomorrow? And I'd love for people to hear about what you're doing and what, what, what you're, they're processing and what that looks like. And so, DP, would you share a little bit? Thanks, Jim. Um, yeah, as, as Jim shared, um, something that attracted both Cameron and I to one another was our heart for, um, for, for the unreached. Uh, now, when we say unreached in missiology, in the technical sense, what we mean by that is folks with no access to the gospel, okay? Um, so there's a lot of lost people within our own lives, right? Um, there's a lot of lost people in Lake Orion. There's a lot of lost people in Rochester Hills that are a lot of unsafe people. But um, in the technical sense, right, um, we don't use the applied term unreached for them because they have access to the gospel. So when we say unreached in, in, in missions terms, right, we mean people that have no neighbors that can share the gospel with them. We mean people that have no churches that they can go to. We mean people that have no um, translation of Bibles in their own heart language, right? And so for us, man, we were burdened from an early on that 40% of the world today are considered unreached and they might never ever hear the name of Jesus or the gospel, um, right, from birth to death, right? Mm. And so Cameron was serving in a place in Central Asia. I was serving in India, like Jim said, and through God-ordained circumstances, uh, we met. Um, and now we're looking to serve together in North Africa um, and uh, working with a Muslim-majority um, people group. And, um, yeah, we'll be focusing on these three things, evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Our burden and our heart really is um, the same burden that Paul expressed in the book of Romans, right, where he says, I have this desire and burden to go to Spain. Well, why did he want to go to Spain? Well, he explains... I want to go to Spain because they have not heard the good news yet. I want to, I want to um, go to Spain because Christ has not been preached to them yet. So I think for us as a church, right, as Jesus commissions us in the Great Commission to go to all nations, right, I think we as, the, as, as a church, as 
uh, as the body of Christ, we have this obligation to go to people, go to people groups, go to countries, go to places where uh, they have no access to the gospel and share the good news with them. So that's what we're doing in North Africa. Yeah, that's awesome. And, 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 and DP started as one of our, if you've heard anything about our Global 100 and being sent out, and now them together are being sent out. They've been sent by our church, and we come around them and support them in many different ways. And, man, I just thought it would be amazing for you guys to hear what it looks like because, man, when you're going to uh, countries that are closed off and countries that are, it's, it's hard soil to till. And, uh, man, they need a lot of prayer and support and even financial support in the process. And so, man, I thought it would be great for them. What an example of what it looks like. Man, you want to follow Jesus in the call in his life. It demands commitment. And along the way, that's not an easy process. And so uh, in, in just a few moments, can you share... As you guys are going out there, they're with us, and they're actually leaving, I think, tomorrow. And um, then they're going to be with her family and the Carolinas. And then in January, they're actually heading out uh, to where God's calling them now. And so as you guys go, what's a, what, how can we pray for you, support you in the process? And what does that look like? Yeah, I would say, um, I can share, and then Cameron, you can share. Um, it, one of the biggest needs that we would have is for the body of Christ, for this congregation right here at Woodside Lake Run Campus to just really care for the work that the Lord is doing in North Africa. And there's different expressions of care. The biggest expression of care, we would say, is, is prayer. Um, so Cameron and I, along with our team, will be interacting with hundreds um, and or thousands of individuals, right, um, that might not have ever heard the gospel before. So we need a lot of prayer for those individuals. Um, and then secondarily, we're going to need a lot of prayer for folks that um, we are looking to spiritually develop, disciple. Um, there are some believers in this country that we're going, so we're looking to develop these individuals so they can go out and be church planners in their own country, right? And so we're going to need a lot of prayer um, for this. And we don't want to, like, it wouldn't make any sense for us to do this without the body of Christ praying for us and praying for the work. And so that would be the biggest expression of care. And we can share um, more too um, downstairs later. Yep. Um, first off, I just want to say thank you to Woodside. Um, you have graciously allowed me to be part of your church. You've been supporting Daniel for years now, and it's such a blessing to be part of this family. And uh, so thank you. We've been here for months now and really felt loved and, and welcomed by you all. One thing that Daniel and I talk about a lot is um, we're not created to be in isolation. We look at the Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the intimacy of that relationship. We look at the church. We're supposed to be intimate with one another, vulnerable with one another. We are what the Lord has instituted to make his name known mm. on this earth. And so we do really feel like we can't do what we do apart from you all. And so we just want to say thank you for your support, for your love. And I have two prayer requests to add as well. Um, one way we see Satan really trying to thwart the work of the kingdom overseas is by uh, disunity, disrupting the lives of believers and causing tension between the lives of believers. So we would ask for prayer over the missionary units in North Africa that um, you guys would really just pray for us as we seek unity and peace towards one goal and one work of making Christ known in the North Africa region. And also I would say for our uh, union together, seven months in, woo, um, but uh, we have a lot to learn and just pray that um, we can just be good communicators with one another and just keep Christ first at the forefront of our mind and everything that we do. So thank you and we would love your prayers and know that we're praying for you guys too. Yeah. So good. And they're going to be downstairs. They have a little table set up. And they actually have some cards. Do me a favor. Go by, grab a card. Maybe put it on your, on your um, 
Wherever it is you'll see a lot, to know to pray for them. There's a QR code where you can read more about what they're doing, even if you won't feel led to financially come alongside of them. Man, go chat with them and see what they're doing and what God's going to be doing for you. They can even maybe share with you where they're going downstairs. Um, and we'd love for you to support them as much as possible. What a, possible. What a, what a picture it is, again, of command. I'll never forget DP saying, hey, this is what God is calling me to. I'm burning the plows and I'm moving forward. And I'm sure Cameron just had the same experience of commitment because that's what God's call demands. If you would, I want to pray over them. Would you pray with me as we pray for them um, and, and their time moving forward? God, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, the opportunity we have just to have them. Uh, DP and Cameron with us. What, a, what an amazing gift it is today. And it, it wasn't even happening last week. It's just at the last minute. It's so good that you're just so faithful and good to us. What a picture they are uh, to commitment in following you, Lord. But it's the same for each one of us uh, to step out in faith tomorrow in representing you and sharing the gospel. Uh, but we ask that you go before them as they're in a hard place, going to a hard place with hard soil, soil that only the Spirit of God can till up. And so we ask that you go before them, make a way for them. If they have any financially, support them. Uh, as they uh, move forward, would you bind them together in their new marriage, keep you at the forefront of that, and keep unity on uh, the team as they're there uh, together. And so God, we just thank you for their example and ask that you'd be with them uh, as they go. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Love y'all. Can we give them one more round of applause? And Again, I just think it's a great picture of what it means to be committed to the call that God has in our lives. And so as we're, we're talking about that, and you look with Elisha, remember, like I said, of great sacrifice, of great wealth, and I don't know how much it would have cost for 24 oxen and a plow, but he burned them and, and sacrificed them, that there is now no distractions from the commitment that God has called them to. And so, man, in this, I just ask you, just real plainly to think about your own life. When you think about, are you a missionary in the places you've been called? What is distracting you? What's holding you back? What's drawing you back from following Jesus in obedience? This week, what, what plows need to be burned for that sin that you keep going back to? What oxen need to be sacrificed in your life to, to help you step out in faith, to do exactly what God has called you to in your workplace, in your neighborhood, and in all the places you do life? What is it that God is calling you to not look back on? It might even be something good. There was nothing wrong with the oxen. There was nothing wrong with the plow, only that they would be a distraction in the past. So the good things you have in your life that are a distraction to you, what are those things that need to be sacrificed or, or burnt so that you can move forward because God's demands really on your life and call on your life calls for commitment and there's great sacrifice in that. Well, last, I just want you to see in verse 21, how does he respond? He says in verse, nine, verse 21, he arose after, he sacrificed all the animals, burns them, puts on a barbecue. He arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. And so the last thing I want you to see is that, man, God's call, uh, God's assignment for you involves development or discipleship in every aspect of it, whether it's you or you discipling someone else. The word here in the text, assist, uh, it, it means served. It's used to describe servants at a table and most frequently used to describe one who served in the tabernacle, right? 
There's not a lot of glamour in this job. And Elisha, if you read the entirety of his story, he did this for Elijah for somewhere around 6 to 12 years. And in fact, we don't even hear anything else about Elisha until 2 Kings chapter 2. And we don't hear that he's some amazing, unbelievable prophet. Rather, it says he's a servant of the great one. So imagine your name is not like, man, Jim's amazing, but it's Jim's the assistant of the amazing Chris Brooks. Like, none of us should be called that, by the way. But you get my point. Like, Elisha isn't some guy that like, man, you're, you're an amazing guy. No, you're, you're the assistant of the great one. And you read his story a few years later. Elijah departs, and this group of kings wants to obtain direction from Yahweh or one of Yahweh's prophets. And so another one knew of Elisha and says, man, Elisha, the son of Shaphat in 2 Kings 3.11 is here, listen to this, who used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. <laughs> like basically saying he was his assistant. Like he used to like help him wash his hands. This is, what, this is what Josh Miller says. He's like, man, I'm the one who used to pour water on Alex Armstrong's hands. I'm kidding. He doesn't say that. I just want to make sure no one actually thinks that he's saying that. It's not an amazing ministry. He's called to follow after God, but for 6 to 12 years, he's in obscurity, just learning. And now what I want you to see is they're not wasted years. He, he's in every moment learning what it looks like to follow after God as a prophet. He's in moments learning what it means to pray fervently or, or just see wisdom in every way for 6 or 12 years. They're not wasted. No, God had exactly what he had for him in that moment to leave, follow after him, but it involved discipleship. You see this throughout scripture. I don't have time to get into all of it, but man, even small pictures. Joshua for 40 years assisted Moses until he got to lead the people into the promised land. David for like some 16 years was in the wilderness after he was anointed as king. Jesus himself, who is the savior of the world in, in all of his ministry, before going on in ministry, it says in his humanity is described as he developed before he began his public ministry, when it says he increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And then he calls 12 guys to, to walk along with him, to be discipled before they go out on their own to do ministry. Man, I just can't say it enough. Discipleship is so important in the kingdom of God. God, as I'll say in a couple weeks, as I'm studying for another sermon, man, God doesn't call us to decisions. God calls us to disciples. God didn't say, go therefore in all the world and make Make decisions, have people pray a prayer and then leave them alone and move on. No, he says, go therefore and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have taught you. Man, we are called to make disciples. And I'll just say that God's call in your life, maybe the lack, a uh, struggle to fulfill the call that God has for you is you're not being discipled by another brother or sister in Christ. That we all should have someone in front of us that's a little further along like Elijah was to Elisha and learning under them and getting spiritual guidance underneath them and walking with them and seeing how they interact with their family. And then we should have a brother or sister in Christ behind us that we're bringing along the way. It involves development, discipleship, and it's a part of a submission process in following after God. So man, I just ask you, who's discipling you? Who knows your ins and outs of your life? And who are you discipling? When's the last time you made a disciple? 
Because this is not. Well, God didn't say go therefore in all the world and go to church. It's good to go to church. He didn't say go therefore in all the world and give money. It's good to be generous. We have pretty strict instructions, make disciples. And I told you at the beginning, I still believe it. We have a labor crisis in the kingdom of God because there's not a lot of people making disciples. Calling people to follow after them. Sharing the gospel with them, then growing them up, right? And so I'll just ask you what I asked you at the beginning. Do you see yourself as a missionary sent by God to make disciples? disciples because as Jesus said when he saw the crowds he make he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd I just hope that overwhelms you tomorrow when you go to work well you won't be going to work tomorrow's Labor Day we cease work Tuesday that when you see people at work I just want you to know they're helpless and harassed by Satan your neighbors the people you see at the coffee shop, young people, the people you see at high school, college. I hope it overwhelms you with compassion, the heart of Jesus, that they are helpless and harassed. That's why I pray for my brother and sister in Christ as they go, that people are blinded by some false gospel and they're helpless and harassed. And Jesus says in light of that, to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. My prayer is that then I know the laborers are few in Lake Orion and Oxford and surrounding areas and in, in other parts of the world. And my heart is that we would be laborers for the kingdom of God to see people come into the kingdom of God and be known by God. But it's going to take commitment, it's going to take development. But God's trustworthy, and when he calls and directs, we can trust it. I'll invite the band to come. We're just going to sing a simple song at the end. And I hope it's your prayer today that you can sing it honestly as a prayer from your heart. The song is literally called Send Me. There's people in this room, I firmly believe, that God needs to call and has been calling to go and reach far and distant lands. The majority of this room, God is calling you to reach your neighbor your coworker, your friend, your children. And may it be our heart's prayer just now while we sing, Lord, when I leave today, I'm a missionary as I leave this place, send me. And over and over again it says, it is my great honor, it's my privilege to say yes to you, Lord. And may our response today just be saying yes, God. It's been, I haven't been faithful in this area, God, but yes, Send me. Let's pray. God, thank you for our time and the example of Elijah and Elisha, the example of Cameron and DP. And God, I know there's so many different people that are walking in different stages of life in this room. There's people that are out there grinding for the kingdom of God with the assistance of the Holy Spirit, laboring for the kingdom. There's people in here that have never shared the gospel ever being a Christian. There's people in this room that are not in the word of God at all. 
But God, in all of us, you, you call us to be your disciple makers, to send us into the world to make disciples. So God, even as we sing, may this song overwhelm us that this is our prayer. Lord, send me to my high school. Send me, God, to my college. God, send me to my, my workplace. God, send me to my neighborhood. And my response is yes. Yes, Lord. Yes. In Jesus' name, amen.